This is the Wellsprings Word. Revelations chapter 6. Um, if you've been following along, if you've been here, if not, or if you're maybe a, new to the book of Revelation, um, this is actually the beginning when God said, I'm going to show you what is and was and what is to come. This is actually the beginning of him showing John what is to come. So the first, you know, Revelation 1 was just his encounter. Chapters 2 and 3 were his letters to the churches, which is what is at that time. 4 and 5 was his visions of the throne room, being invited to see that God is the one that reigns on the throne. How many are glad that God's in charge? Last week we were talking about the fact that everything from this point on is all written on a scroll that's in your father's hand. Isn't that nice? We talked about the fact that it's all in his head. And so no matter what is happening and no matter what people are hollering about, if you're God's, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are living right there in the palm of his hand. And the people that try to make you nervous need to stop talking or you need to stop listening, you know, one way or the other. And so we're going to start talking about this, and obviously there's a lot to it. We've been at this revelation thing for like 14 weeks already, and we're at the first seal. Amen. So 2023 may just be the year of the book of Revelation, and we'll just see what happens. But Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll, and I heard one of the four living beings saying with a voice like thunder, come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head, and he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. So, Father, we ask you to open your word to us today. Um, there's Some people are even scared to read this. <laughs> I just pray that your spirit would lead us into truth, not into conjecture. And we have the humility as your people to recognize that you never promised to answer all of our questions about this. So rather than fight about what we're trying to figure out, lead us to a place where we're standing together on what the Bible clearly teaches. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. <clears throat> so almost all the scholarly type people agree that the breaking of the first seal is a very significant shift when it comes to the history of what God is declaring is going to happen. So now, depending on your background, I'm going to use a couple of different terms to kind of bring us all into the same moment. Depending on your background, you've heard of this time period called the tribulation. In fact, if you've heard of that, just raise your hand real quick so I, and then I know which church you came from. Okay, cool. And then if you're, if you're deeper than that, right, because if you notice how people are having contests about how deep they can be, well, so now if you're deeper than that, it's the 70th week of Daniel. How many are familiar with that term? Anybody? See? Just one. Two. Okay, so see? So we're not that deep. That's why we're in Wyoming. We're, we're, we're just cowboys. We're just rednecks. We're just simple folk, man, trust in Jesus with more common sense than most. Amen. Um, so the deal is, is that it's a specific period of time that given um, based primarily in prophecies in the book of Daniel, it represents a seven-year period. Everybody say seven years. Now, like I've told you in weeks past, the dispensationalist crowd loves this stuff because it lets them just make lines and go like, nope, 
Tuesday is this, Wednesday is this. So don't try to tell me it's Tuesday because it's this. And they love that stuff because it really lets them map it out. So depending on your background, the way this has been told to you maybe numerous, numerous times is that everyone's tripping along, doing fine. There's some spooky stuff happening. We start to kind of notice like, huh, wow, there's some spooky stuff happening. And then one day with no announcement at all, a trumpet sounds and we all vanish and we leave our clothes behind which is the spooky part, right? I really worried about that for many, many years till I found that scripture about how we get a glorified body <laughs> because, wow, right? So then we're all just gone, and depending on how it's been told, you know, or movies that you've seen, you know, planes are crashing, cars are crashing, all this stuff, everyone in the world who didn't want to serve Jesus turns around and goes, oh, my, something happened, and then from that point on is seven, hear me, exact years to the day of this plan of God's judgment that everyone calls the tribulation. And so the seven-year period of time happens and all the bad things happen and we don't care because we left before it all started. And so we don't even need to know about it because we're out, man. We're checking out, baby. It doesn't matter. We're leaving. I know because this guy named Tim LaHaye who wrote this fictional book called Left Behind said so. So it must, uh-oh. So it must be totally true. And out of all of that becomes this idea that there's good, we leave, there's seven years of trouble, Jesus comes back again. And that's the majority of the American denominations flow from a dispensationalist background, and that's a fancy word that means they like that because it gives them their time frames. And so then out of that, most people just sit around, if they think about the end times at all, they just sit around waiting for the rapture and looking for the signs, you know, like, any day now, I sure hope something happens because I am quite sure that the Antichrist was on TV yesterday, you know, and... All this stuff starts happening. Now, I am not here today to just strip out your gears about the rapture or make you worry or cause you to leave out because earlier I was praying that you not be afraid. I want to suggest to you that a properly grounded Christian has nothing to fear. So I'm going to be saying this with some boldness over the coming weeks until you will probably be tired of hearing it, but that's okay because I'm right. A properly grounded Christian has nothing to fear, right? So I, I quoted Keith Green last week, our old friend from the 70s. I hope everything is a pre-tribulational rapture. I hope we leave because I want to get to heaven just as soon as I can. But I make my walk with God like I've got to go all the way through so that if we are wrong about this thing, I don't fall out and faint. And then we started talking last week about how many times the experts have already been wrong. So you would do good if you're all about it, man, Jesus, come today. Me too. I love that idea. But I'm trying to have a relationship with him that would take me all the way through. Because eternities are at stake. And I can't afford to be wrong because somebody tried to sell me a book. Does that make sense to everybody? So we're going to study this out, and we're going to find that it's all good news, and it's all awesome, and it's all cool, and no one has anything to fear, 
And so instead of telling you that you will never see this guy and being dispensational about it, we're going to talk about him because he's cool. So the breaking of the first seal, almost all Bible scholars believe that this is a picture of this individual you've heard of called the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is an interesting character throughout, and we're going to look at some different scriptures, but he's basically, in a nutshell, he is a world leader that generates an incredibly powerful following in the world that doesn't know Christ and ultimately leads a rebellion openly against God, right? That's who he is in a nutshell. Now, some of you are hardcore YouTubers, which is cool. I'm, that's fine. But so in your mind, you already went, well, I already know who it is because so-and-so said so. Or maybe just take a breath. What we're talking about is a man who's revealed when, when Jesus breaks the seal. So who's got the power? Jesus, thank you. This individual doesn't even arrive until God decides. You got to keep that in focus because there's a whole bunch of teachers trying to make you so afraid of this guy that you would think that all hope is lost because somebody wants to have digital currency. Take a breath for five seconds and realize everything that's about to happen happens at the timing of God. Who do you belong to? God. Who breaks the seals? Jesus. Who saved you? Jesus. Who were we worshiping a minute ago? Jesus. So who needs to sweat this a lot? Not you. Because the one you're serving is in control of every step. So at God's discretion, he breaks the seal and this man is revealed. Now, a couple of things are implied in that, obviously. doesn't mean he was born that day. It means everybody saw him for who he was on that day. The day that the seal is broken, the world will look and know, hey, there he is right there. Well, what does that imply? That means that he's living for some period of time before we figure out who he is. So I saw this great video the other day. It was fantastic. Is the Antichrist alive? I thought, wow, deep. So I clicked on it. Bless this guy's heart. That's all I could think. Bless his heart. So worried. I'm like, read God's resume. This dude shows up at the whim of our father, fulfills a purpose ordained by our father, and at the end is crushed and destroyed by our father. I don't have anything to fear from this fool. And neither do you. And we need to study these things from a proper place of New Testament victory in Jesus rather than people trying to sell us stuff, making sure we know that if we don't buy their video, we'll be unprepared. And stop burying food in your backyard. Just side note. Anyways, a couple of things about this guy that are interesting, and I just want to point them out. We're just going to go through. And please, I already feel it. If you're burying food in your yard, I was teasing you. Don't get offended. I'm just playing. Like, it's fine. I just see a lot of people really trying to capitalize on the fact that we're afraid. And we're not supposed to be. So notice a couple of things about him. He's anti-Christ, and so he rides a white horse, right? Right? 
At the end of the book, you find that when the true Christ is revealed, he also rides a white horse. So this is part of the imagery. It's apocalyptic imagery. It's just to help us understand. But there's a neat thing it says about him. It says he carries a bow, right? A bow and arrow. Every reference that you see to Jesus, he has a sword. In fact, Roman, uh, Revelations 19 or 20, when it gives that vision of him, a sword that's even coming out of his mouth, which is pretty cool. This is what I'm saying. If Jesus is not cool enough to follow, then I don't know what to tell you because he's cool. But this guy has a bow and arrow, right? Different kind of imagery. And I believe it sort of matters because when we go through the Bible, we find that arrows have a little bit more of a demonic flavor usually than swords do like ephesians 6 verse 16 and some of you guys know this but it says in addition to all these hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil right and so so i believe personally and again this is one of those things where if you don't believe we can still go to heaven together but the reason why in the vision he has a bow and arrow is because this is the same fool that's been shooting at you already most of your life at least empowered by the same darkness let's say it that way Maybe not the same individual, but empowered by the same darkness. This is who you've been fighting all along, launching his arrows your way. It says that a crown is placed on his head. And that's really actually important because it means that he is given his authority. He's given his influence, right? And what we find when we read the book of Daniel and what we seem to find the trail of in the book of Ezekiel is that when this guy comes on the scene, he's going to impress everybody. Just say the word impress. His entrance is as this incredibly charismatic man of peace. What the book of Daniel seems to teach us is that this Middle Eastern war peace problem that no one else has been able to solve, this guy is going to walk on the scene and go, I got it. And when he solves that, the whole world is going to marvel at this treaty that he's able to make to bring peace to that region. And that's implied in this imagery. See, he doesn't take the first crown he's given. It's given to him, right? And the scriptures talk about the whole world winding up under his sway. For a lot of years, people really thundered away on this idea of the one world government, and it was required in order for this guy to show up because in the King James Version, it said that he was in control of the whole world. But that's really not as necessary as you might think because what the words underneath mean is that he has control as in he can manipulate the whole world. So he doesn't actually have to ever be the elected leader of the United States. He will just be the guy that when he says, this is what we should do, all the other world leaders go, yeah, he's right, and they will follow him. And this is what the scripture seems to be alluding to when it says the crown is placed on his head. In other words, whole big parts of the world are going to choose to make this guy their leader. Look how smart he is. Look at the problems that he solved. Then the scripture also seems to indicate that there's going to be quite a heavy demonic influence that's working with him, a strong delusion. One scripture points to the fact that some of that delusion is actually going to be the work of God, your God, my God. He's going to work that in those that have refused to accept the gospel because it's the beginning of his judgment on those that will not follow his son. And that's a whole other thing that we'll explore in a later time. And so out of all of that, he winds up with this incredible sphere of control. 
The second seal, when we get there, is warfare. And that's significant because it shows that when he first comes on the scene, it's not with war. They don't fight first. He's going to talk first. So the guy that you're looking for is going to be smooth, right? He's going to be charismatic, man. Everything he says is just going to sound like a million dollars. When he talks, everyone's going to go, wow. He's smart. The whole world's going to think that. I'd like to just point out at this juncture, how should I say this? None of our current political heroes fit that. FYI. Because now we're at a part in America where anybody anybody doesn't like is the devil, Hitler, or the Antichrist. But I don't think I have to tell you that none of our current crew we could describe as smooth, charismatic, smart, brilliant, intelligent, and manipulative. We kind of more have like clown cars, like crashing into each other in an arena. It's, it's really sad. If you really want to watch something to entertain yourself, watch Australian news, where the last 15 minutes of their broadcast is humor about us. It's legit the stuff that they find to make fun of. So all I'm trying to say is, am I saying that the Antichrist has nothing to do with American politics? Yes, I am saying that. Because what the Scripture seems to indicate is that his influence is far more in the Middle East and in that area, and he rises up out of that area. And what we should be watching for in our own scene is having weak enough leaders to follow him. FYI, that's, that's more the American focus. Say, well, wait a minute now. The whole Bible's about us. No, actually, we're not even in it. So we have to learn to recognize that the center of God's compass is Israel, not Wall Street. And when he talks about what he's doing, he's talking about there. And when we look for references for us, you really stretch, and I know them all. I've heard them. They are a stretch, okay? Basically, Columbus got lost and found this place. Then we said he discovered it even though there was already people living here. That's our actual history. Amen. Just to bring you up to speed. So when God writes out prophecy, he's talking about stuff there. And then we look for the little indications. So what we have to watch for is people being weak-minded enough to follow along. His entrance on the world scene is as a man of peace. I want you to see this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul was teaching and he was writing back to the Thessalonians who had gotten some bad teaching from somebody passing through about the last days. And he said it this way, Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, talking about the return of Christ, the rapture, he says, That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. So that's how far he goes with it, right? Everybody starts to be so impressed by him that pretty soon he's like, yeah, all of you have been killing each other in the name of all your religions for centuries. I brought peace. So if you want to worship anybody... Don't worship these versions of God that caused you to kill each other. Worship me. I'm the one that made it peaceful. Now, see, the spooky thing about the Internet 
is somebody just took a sound bite of me going, worship me. <laughs> right? Because that's how weird the internet's getting. The fact of the matter is, this is what the Antichrist is going to claim. Look at me. You don't need any of this religion you've ever had because it never solved anything. All you did was kill each other in the name of all that stuff. And what you need to do is just listen to me because I solved it. And the Bible says a great portion of the world will go, yeah, yeah, look at that guy. Look what he did. And another on down in Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 9. He says, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. And he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies and they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Wow. I want you to take notice of that verse 12 because it matters. Those that follow him will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Hey, everybody. One way you can help us out here on the Wellsprings Word is to subscribe. Um, subscription of numbers is a big way of how people find podcasts online. And since we had to transfer from one platform to another, we've got plenty of people listening, but our subscription number is down. So take a minute, if you can, and just subscribe. It helps us out. And uh, if you want to go the extra mile and help us, share the show around. If you've got friends or if you've got family that you think would benefit from just clear, concise, biblical teaching like this, um, just take the extra 20, 30 seconds and you know, put it in a text message and send it out or your social medias or whatever. Uh, it just really helps us out, and we'd appreciate that so much. Thanks. Have a great day. One of the original arguments why the church has to leave, rapture has to happen before this guy ever shows up, is because it's going to be so bad when he's here. And we talked about this last week. So isn't that when you need a church? Isn't that when there needs to be a witness in the world? Now, if Jesus interrupts us, and takes us home, fine, I don't care. He can call ball the trumpet whenever he wants. But I want you to keep in mind that you got Paul saying, look, the rapture's not happening until this guy shows up. Second Thessalonians is really, really hard for dispensationalists because it says right there, this doesn't happen until he shows up. So you would do better to understand him and have a preparedness than to have this escapism thing going on. Oh, I don't care because I get to leave. You do better to pay attention. What it said there was that the condemnation of God is not just on people who don't know. That's not what it said. Paul said God's judgment is coming on those who enjoy evil rather than good. If you've noticed in our culture, the troubling trend is that now we celebrate evil rather than calling it out. Now the more evil it is, the better Almost, look, look what they did, you know, look. Oh, look what that guy did. Or in the name of art, you know, it's art. Look, look what they did. It's amazing. And we start celebrating evil. And keep in mind that 
every truly born-again, blood-bought, spirit-sealed believer, you're already walking through a world that enjoys evil. And you're already here. And you're already walking it out, man. This, this is not talking about anything new happening. It's just saying that they'll have a leader they can look at. But that spirit is already in the world. In fact, if you really want to strip your theological gears, go back to 1 John and find where he said the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world, and he said that in A.D. 90. So this spirit that hardens people's hearts against following Jesus, this is not new. And it's not going to suddenly be so bad. It's already here. And it's already moving and so if your theology taught you, well, the church has to leave before it gets bad. Well, it's already bad and we're here. So either that teaching had some holes in it or we all got left behind. Oh, God. No, actually, the teaching just had some holes in it. And we're going to break it down. Like I said last week, I am going to tell you when Jesus is coming. Just not today. So... As this man facilitates this whole rise to power, he will increasingly go from being somebody that looks pretty benign. Look at this, look at this great peace deal I did. Little by little by little by little, as he cements himself in power, and as more and more people give him power, little by little, the truth will come more and more to the fold. Well, what ends up happening is that the world doesn't care as he reveals that he's evil, that doesn't matter to a world that enjoys evil. Are you following me? We would love to believe people would never follow him. Yes, they absolutely will. Because they will be more interested in the problems he appears to solve than in the fact that he's evil and how he does it. And I want to suggest to you that if God has declared there's seven seals, my son is going to break one and this man is coming, can I go ahead and we could clear up right now? I don't care how you vote. This is going to happen. Get involved in all that you want. I'm not saying that. I vote. But if you think the plan of God is on our ballot in America, you're confused. This is going to happen. And whether we have a, a nation being led in righteousness, and God, I would love that. A revival moving from coast to coast. America is shining again as an example of the gospel and the goodness of God. That would be great. Or if we are as apostate as we appear to be going, just understand God said he's going to do this whether we sit over here and pout or not. So it would be way better to be on his team. Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm with you. Because if you're getting ready to get mad, then the only good place to be is with you. Oh, you're not hearing me, see? See, you're, you're, you're getting so weird right now because you think I'm implying something about the politics. Think about what God is saying. I'm going to express my discontent. Where do you want to stand, in front of him or with him? Come on. We're with the one who wins. And he told us. Not so we can sit in our sanctuaries and tremble in fear about things that haven't even happened yet. 
How you doing? I think we have to really get a hold of this anti-fear agenda. We really need to. In Corinthians chapter 13 and 14 and 15, when Paul was talking about the spiritual gifts, do you remember when he said, nobody, when they sound a trumpet, if it's unsteady, no one comes to the fight? How many remember that? And it was a reference to battlefields in the, in the, in the early days. You didn't have text and you didn't have GPS. So when they wanted to do something on the battlefield, somebody blew a trumpet. So like if you heard three trumpet blasts, it meant all the archers should shoot or, you know, whatever. They had a code. Paul's point was, if that trumpet sounds an uncertain note, nobody moves because nobody knows what that means, right? They, they, they go, well, what did that call mean? That sounded uncertain. It sounded unsteady. I think you need to understand that prophetically, the main thing the devil's doing to the church in America right now is making us unsteady. And he's doing it so that our message is not a clear sound. Because we're standing up and telling everybody, you need my Jesus, but we're also in really bad trouble because of, well, then do I need him or not? Because you have him, and you're hiding in your house. I was already doing that without Jesus. How many hear what the preacher's trying to say? Peter said our opportunities for witnessing were going to be when people asked us for the hope they see within us. Not when we buy nine generators like them. I'm just saying, we've got to think this through. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something to prepare, do it. But if you're being driven by the same spirit of fear that's plaguing this world, you need to drop back and pray because you don't belong to this world. You belong to Jesus, and he's the one that wins in the end. Now, if he tells you to do something, do it. But if it's just your favorite internet cowboy that said so, maybe pray before you cash out your CDs to bury food in your yard. Just saying. So who is the Antichrist? Everyone wants to know, and that's my favorite thing about the Bible is because God doesn't tell us. I love it. It's like he's going to show up. Who is he? We'll get to that later. If you do the math, if everybody's really fired up about, you know, Jesus is coming back again, it's got to be true, um, then he would probably be alive right now. That makes sense. That's just the math. It's not like he's going to be presented as a four-year-old with a PlayStation. He'll be a grown man that's got some influence. So I'm sure he could be alive right now. That's cool. A lot of the theories about who he's going to be are based in some Old Testament prophecies that are kind of interesting, and I won't be long. We'll be done in a second. But one of the original ones that was really popular through the 70s and the 80s in the church was this idea of this reconstituted Roman Empire that had to come together because the Antichrist was going to be the leader of the new Roman Empire. So then, if you remember, when all of the uh, European Union thing happened... Oh, man, some prophecy scholars were just drooling, man. They were like, it's happening, you know. And then people started voting to leave. And it sort of started to fall apart. So, well, maybe we weren't quite right. And that's the thing we got to keep in mind. we got to walk with a little grace, man, because I have not even been alive that long, and I have already seen 17 incarnations of guys going, we got it, and then we didn't have it. <laughs> so... So everybody needs, I think, really just to take a breath. Some of these things are extrapolations people make from prophecy. They could be right. 
They could be wrong. So you have to walk close to Jesus. And the stuff that the Bible clearly teaches, you hold that without moving. But the stuff that you look and go, huh, he says it this way. This guy's just as sure that it's door number, it's door number two. This lady's just as sure it's door number three. And this whole group is sure it's door number four. And they're all reading out of the same Bible. And people look, younger people especially, go like, why can't you all just agree and get along? Because everybody's entrenching themselves on uncertain ground. And that's why people are fighting about theories. Never fight about a theory. Ever. My favorite line in that kindness song is, we will find common ground again at the foot of the cross. That's where we stand. That Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus is the answer for everybody and Jesus is the one that changed my life. Not some abstract theory somebody pulled from the book of Zechariah about what a plumb line meant. No, no, no. Christ is what we hold to and Christ is who we preach and Christ is who is coming again. How many are looking forward to that? And so, out of all of this arguing about the Roman Empire, it's really, there's a whole other cool thing. Have you got two minutes? Are we doing okay? I'll give you a cool one. So, the riding of the four horsemen, right? They come riding out. We break the first four seals. We'll be getting to the other guys. And so, there's a white horse and a, and a, and a, and a dark horse and a red horse. And then a, a pale horse is how the King James Version translated it. But it's weird because the Greek word is chlora, which means green. So it's actually a pale green horse, the fourth one. And it's real. Now, this is a fun one. Now, those of you that have been waiting all these weeks, Pastor, come on, give us one of these cool little nuggets like we find online. Okay, fine. Here you go. You've beat me down. You've pressured me. I'll give you one. Forced four horses, white, black, red, green. Every Islamic nation flag in the world is comprised of those colors. How about that? See, now all of a sudden everybody's like, okay, I'll keep going to church here. I believe there's a lot of strong evidence for the fact that this guy is actually Islamic. That the Antichrist, when he rises, he will be a Muslim. And the reason that he will shock the world is because he will look so moderate that he'll be willing to make peace with the Jews and the nation of Israel for that seven-year treaty and all that stuff that Daniel taught. And then everyone's going to be amazed and be like, wow, look at that. And that's why it really matters, I believe. Now, this is my opinion. Everybody just say that. Walt's opinion. This is why what we see happening in our country is actually more relevant than all of our politics. The more relevant piece is the way that Muslims and Islam have become so accepted everywhere in our country that they can build a mosque on every corner and they walk around pretending they're like us. That's the actual demonic part. Because when he rises out of the Middle East and goes, hey, look, we've been a people of peace this whole time. Some of us are going to go, okay, but the Baptists never built bomb vests. Just saying. And down at the Methodist church, we never beat our women to death and then made them wear a robe. 
No, we're a nation. We are a people of peace. We always have been. And a whole bunch of people are going to buy into it. Why? Because the secularization of the Muslim faith is already marketed in America like it's fine. Okay? If you're really looking for the demonic part, that's more it than whether or not the Wall Street Journal leaked something to WikiLeaks or whether or not Elon Musk's rocket blew up or whatever. The really demonic part is the way that we are being taught to accept Islam as a religion of peace when it is not, and it has never been. And by the time it's everywhere, when this man rises up and goes, yeah, see, they're all like me, and the world will go, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's what you got to know about. How you doing? It says that in the book of Ezekiel, primarily, though, will this be this gigantic war happening around Israel. And so every time, if you're online following, every time there's a nudge of anything, like, man, this Russia-Ukraine thing, whew, this has had end-time teachers just, here we go. You are the best. I love you. She's at least listening. Y'all are like... Can we go to Walmart now? Um, here's the deal, is that there's going to be this great big war. And so right now online, and I love the young guys. The young guys are my favorite. It's all lining up right now, except for that's exactly what everybody said in 1972 when Yom Kippur happened and everybody attacked Israel. I know history's inconvenient, but everybody was standing up then like, this is it. Apparently not, because 50 years later, here we are. Right? Somebody told me the other day, we were talking about church maintenance. And, and they meant, well, I'm not picking on anybody. But somebody said, well, we don't even need to fix that. Jesus is coming back. First, I thought, you'll think that till it drips on your head. <laughs> right, Billy? Am I right? They will hold to that till it drips on their head. And then they'll be like, why didn't you fix the roof? So... But that whole idea of like, no, it's all good because we're leaving. So I went the other way, and I was like, you know, so we should borrow $5 million and buy them all and move in over there because what difference does it make? We'll never have to pay it back. Jesus is coming back. Well, now, wait a minute. Don't get weird. Both things were weird, my friend. I'm just saying. The fact is, is that Christ could tarry his coming for decades. And you do better to be prepared for that. And let the rapture just interrupt you, man. Just let the Lord surprise you driving down the street in deep intercession for what's happening in the Middle East and then, boom, flying through the roof of your car. Sweet. It's over. Nice. I want to start a prayer here that I say amen there. How cool is that? Oh, Lord, I just want you to just move and just, and then be looking at him and go, amen. I want him to interrupt me. But this escapism idea, oh, nothing matters because we're going to leave. I think a lot of people are going to be in a serious world of confusion when that's not how that goes, potentially. Not messing with anybody's dispensations, just saying. What is the end of this joker? We have to look at this before we leave. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, and we will leave on this note because I love it. That's not it. 
Verse 8. There it is. The man of lawlessness will be revealed. Read this with me. But the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. <sighs> That's the end of the story. So I almost, I almost never like NLT better than New King James. I almost never do. I've only been using it now on Sundays to get along with y'all going to the Bible study because now she's got everybody in love with NLT, which is fine. Unity in the church, it's fine. I did like this because in the New King James, as I recall, it says the Lord Jesus will destroy him, which is cool, but I like kill him. That's pretty good. The man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him. Everybody just say that with me. Jesus will kill him. So whatever happens, whoever he is, how good he looks, no matter what goes down, Jesus, you know the one guy, the earth guy earlier we were singing to, out of the wilderness, that Jesus is going to kill that joker. That's the end of the story, and that's what you got to know going in. If you look on the news tomorrow and you see him, you don't panic. You look and go, oh, you're dead. That's all that happened by you standing up on CNN and going, look at me. Have you ever, though, though, some of you are all into guns, right? Some, <laughs> Wyoming, <laughs> like nine ARs in here right now, all taken apart and put in people's coats and stuff. Like, we're weird. But anyways, some of you really like laser sights right? I love laser sights for rookies because all it shows is that you're unstable. Like people put their laser on and they point at the target and it's just like, and you know like, oh, well then I'm not in any danger if you shoot at me. I mean, even at my size, I got a 50-50 chance because you're just like, but then in the movies, like SEAL team guys, right? Moving through the dark and when they turn theirs on, and it never moves. It's just like, now, of course, if you're John Wick, you don't even need that. You just have one pistol. It holds 400 rounds. And no matter what you shoot at, you hit if you're John Wick. Like, we need that gun. But it's expensive. So the normal gun, you got to reload. Anyway, side note. So they put the laser. And I'm telling you, that scripture saying to you and I here in Wyoming where we love God and we love guns... When the Antichrist is revealed, the only light on his forehead is a red dot from heaven. Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him at his coming. So when he does stand up, look at me. All he's doing is putting a target on himself. And the church need not fear. We look and go, bless your heart. Because our guy is going to wipe you out. You would have done better to stay in the bunker, pal. Like you jumping up with your looking, no, you're done now. That was bad. So don't be afraid. The theme of our entire study for however long it lasts, just so you know, is don't be afraid. And the reason is because that's what the Bible actually said. Jesus said, fear not. Don't be afraid of men and what they can do. 
If you want to have fear anywhere in your life, you only have it for God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All this other stuff is so in his hand, it doesn't even start till Jesus breaks it. So we rest in him. Thanks again for stopping by. If you'd like any more info about us, feel free to swing by wellsprings.church. Have a blessed day.